Okay, so we're finally making the first episode of Peyton's POV. It's Peyton Gravel here, and I'm so excited to finally get started. I'm here with my good friend Jack Foster, and we're going to talk some ball baseball, the Celtics, and some other things today. So Jack, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, I'm a, I just finished my sophomore year at UT. I'm friends with Peyton, uh, and um, I work for Tennessee's Sports Illustrated affiliate, uh, Volunteer Country. Um, so I write for them. I do podcasts. I also work with Student Radio. I'm a producer for WTK's Rock Solid Sports, and I do student TV with Fall News, which is how I met Peyton. So, so yeah, I'm just a, a big, uh, big into sports journalism while uh, attending school at Tennessee and obviously a sports fanatic, which is why I'm here. All right, perfect. You and me both, Jack, as you know. So we're going to start talking with um, ball baseball, as I said. So I want to talk about game one of the SEC tournament last night uh, that they finally got in. I mean, tell me about, I mean, I know you're in Hoover covering the tournament right now, Jack. Tell me about that delay. What was that all about? And how long did it end up being? Okay, so it ended up being about 26 hours because the uh, Tennessee's first game was originally supposed to start at 4.30 Central on Wednesday. That got delayed to like 8 Central on Wednesday, which then got delayed to 9.30 a.m. the next day. Didn't get played till 6.15 Central on Thursday, like I said, about 26 hours after the original start time. So, yeah, there was about four delays, I think, that were had. Um, you know, it's just that the rain kept piling on here in Hoover, and they just kept having to delay it. It was really weird. Everything was in limbo. You know, it was weird for me. I can't imagine how it was for Tennessee as a team, you know, not knowing when you're going to play. But it ultimately didn't matter as they came out and really smacked Vanderbilt 10 to 1. So it didn't show any sign of rustiness or, you know, any negatives. They were uh, they were very complete and very good. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of the score, 10 to 1, as you said, um, I was thinking about this watching the game last night. Uh, it's hard to beat a team twice, even three times, let alone four times in one season. Jack, how good would you say this ball team is? This ball team is to keep beating Vanderbilt, uh, arguably one of the best teams in recent college baseball history. I mean, they've beat them four times in one season. No, yeah, it's it's definitely special. And, uh, you know, like you said, Tim Corbin and Vanderbilt have been among the elite in college baseball in the last, you know, how many of you want to go back? Tim Corbin's been coached for 20 years. And, you know, this is the first year Tennessee has beat Vanderbilt four times since 1994. So that just speaks for itself. And I feel like there's really no debate that this is probably the best Tennessee baseball team ever. Um, just the amount of records they've broken, the SEC history they've set. Now, if they fall in the regionals or, you know, losing, even in the Supers, maybe you could argue that it wasn't. But the way they've been playing, it's hard-pressed to say that Omaha is not just, you know, going to be a given with this team as talented as they are. I mean, they've clearly been the best in college baseball all year. So, uh, so yeah, they're really good, Peyton. They continue to find ways to amaze me, to amaze everybody else. Like, I mean, last night, it wasn't even that they, their bats caught fire. They, they had an inning where they scored five runs on five at-bats. It's just, it's just at-bat by at-bat consistency, great pitching, great defense we saw from Trey Lipscomb last night, and we know how great Jordan Beck's arm is and, you know, Drew Gilbert and Gordon Lawson's gloves. So, so they're just a really complete team who continue to thump whoever they face. Yeah, speaking of Trey Lipscomb, I have in my little talking points right here, I wanted to talk about – I wanted to get your opinion on 
um, best offensive and defensive players of the game for UT um, because my defensive player was Trey Lipscomb, that that do or die barehanded play he made to end the inning with two outs and the bases loaded for Vandy. Like that is just, yeah. I want to hear what you have to say about that. No, yeah, that he, he it's definitely the defensive player of the game is Trey Lipscomb, and that's the defensive play of the game because, you know, like you said, that yep. was really the only momentum we saw Vanderbilt build all game was when they mm-hmm. loaded the bases there in the sixth. And for Trey Lipscomb to make a you know, bare hand crossbody throw to Luke Lipsius at first, to throws just in time, and Luke actually made a pretty good catch, which should go unrecognized. But, yeah, yes, that play from Trey. I thought the same thing. Yeah, that, that play from Trey is just really special. And, you know, there's more to that with just how much Trey has grown as a defender this season to, you know, match what he's done at the plate. Obviously, we know how good he's been at the plate with 21 home runs. Um, but, right. yeah, Trey Lipscomb is just an all-star for Tennessee. Yeah, I was as I was watching the replay, I was thinking, I was like, oh, because I was watching the game with my sister. I was like, Kendall, there's no way if he fielded that with his glove that he would have gotten the base runner out because it was so close but not to mention the stretch from Lipsius at first base like just all around yeah and it's hard to make that favorite defensive play of the game no yeah definitely and it's hard to make that decision of where to throw it because you know you can throw it anywhere and uh get the final Mm -hmm. out of the inning and you know it it just the way he was positioned you know it it makes sense that he tried to make the play at first and that's what he did but you you almost sensed a little hesitancy in his throw because he was like, all right, where am I going to go? But once he made that decision, right. man, that, that throw came out like a rocket. And it, it got the got the runner out to strand them all loaded. Do you think, like, in his head before that pitch and that batted ball, like, he's thinking, if I keep this in the infield, which base do I go to? You know, because I'm thinking if I'm him and I'm at third base and there's two outs, keep it in the infield, go to first. What do you think? No, yeah, that that's – that's the, I feel like that's the basic, you know, that's the go-to is to try and throw right. them out at first. And, but, but the ball, you know, the placement of the hit was, was pretty different. It was shallow. It was more towards the left field line. So he had to, he had to make that snap decision and, and run a good ways to field the ball and then make the throw. So, so I feel, I feel like first was the play and he made the correct play. And, uh, mm-hmm. and yeah, Tennessee avoided Vanderbilt's really only threat of the night. I mean, what, they had a solo home run against Blade in the fifth. Okay. That happens. Um, so, right. so to me, that was the best, like I said, the best momentum they had built all game and it was stymied. Speaking of solo home runs, um, how about, uh, Blake Burke's pinch hit solo home run? Oh, okay, that's my yeah. offensive I, player of the game. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you could argue like Seth getting on base three times and, you know, oh, Drew Gilbert absolutely. having two RBIs. Two there, for there's, three. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Drew having two RBIs. I mean, that dude just puts together really great at bats, but the Blake Burke thing mm-hmm. is almost kind of comical because you don't <laughs> start Blake Burke because uh, DH because a lefty's starting. So you put Simo in at the eight hole and start him at DH and then Vanderbilt makes a pitching change. Granted it was their second pitching change of the night. Still, they brought out a righty and, uh, and you know, Christian Moore was coming up in the lineup and Tony's like, okay, there's a righty pitching. I'm gonna throw Blake here. And on the third pitch of his at bat, he hits a 400 feet, uh, 400 plus feet bomb, you know, into left center. And yeah. that, that was his first at bat as a in the postseason as a collegiate athlete. I mean, this dude is super young, and he's got 11 home runs on the season. Just unbelievable power. I Blake Burke's one of my favorite players on this team. He continues to amaze me with just what he can do with his bat. Um, as, as if he if he becomes more consistent with, you know, 
his swings as far as not trying to hit a home run every time. I think he's going mm-hmm. to be one of the best hitters in all of college baseball next year when he starts for Tennessee. Uh, but yeah, you could argue there's multiple offensive players of the game. Obviously, Blake Burke's home run was probably like the the wow highlight of the game. Yeah. But there, there was a lot of consistency from this entire lineup. Like I said, Drew and Luke and Seth. So other than Jordan Beck, everyone pretty much performed well. Yeah, what happened there? I don't know. Jordan Beck's just kind of been in a slump, um, it seems like, at the plate. You know, it, it happens. Uh, Jordan Beck's a future big leaguer. There's nothing I think you should worry <laughs> about. Um, but, but yeah, he is kind of in a slump. Going back to that Mississippi State series, the, the last time he's really put together a really good game was when he had that uh, three-run homer against Kentucky, which uh, and on the third day to avoid getting swept. You could argue they wouldn't have won that game if it wasn't for Beck's homer. So, yeah, he's just in a little bit of a slump here, but I don't think it's anything anybody should worry about. It just happens. I mean, look, eight out of nine guys just absolutely destroying the baseball last night, putting together really awesome at-bats. You're not going to complain here. So, you won 10-1 to against Vandy. So, I want to talk about the rest of the tournament, or at least tonight, one game at a time. We'll take it. So, uh, the Vols take on LSU tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern. And uh, they haven't played LSU this year yet. And I just was looking on – uh instagram the tigers beat kentucky who we know just as you were talking about gave the vols a pretty competitive series beating ut in two of three two of the three matchups so right this will be an interesting game tonight what do you what are your thoughts jack what are we thinking uh it's gonna be i think it might be tennessee's toughest challenge in a while because lsu like you said they haven't played this year it's on the big stage LSU fans have packed the house here in Hoover just as much as Tennessee fans have. So the atmosphere is going to be absolutely ridiculous tonight. Hoover met. It's going to be late night lights. You know, it's, it's just, it's what you expect in a marquee college baseball matchup. And, you know, LSU's lineup is a dangerous one when you got Dylan Cruz, Trey Morgan, obviously Dylan Cruz, co-SEC player of the year. So the, the Chase Dolander is going to have his hands full with this LSU lineup, but LSU's lineup is going to have their hands full of Chase Dolander. I mean, SEC pitcher of the year. So we got some elite talent going toe to toe here tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, with the way Arkansas has been slipping, um, I do think LSU might be the toughest test uh, or the biggest challenge you could say for Tennessee in order to win this SEC tournament championship right up there with Texas A&M. Um, so, so yeah, it's it's one of the better teams in the SEC. It's going to be a really fun matchup. I still am never going to bet against these baseballs um, mm-hmm. because. They just, like I said, they're the best team in college baseball, so I'm not going to bet against them. But it is going to be a close matchup. I would expect it to be much closer than last night, and uh, I'm excited to cover it. How do you think this LSU team, if at all, compares to Vanderbilt? Because, I mean, we can only go off of – we can only go yeah. off of some competition, you know, as as we mentioned that the Vols haven't played LSU. And what do you think? Do they compare? Um, LSU doesn't quite have the speed Vanderbilt has. I mean, you got guys like Enrique Bradfield and Spencer Jones who, you know, are really efficient as base runners, especially Bradfield. But LSU has a lot more power. Um, their lineup is loaded with talent. Obviously, Dylan Cruz being one of the best hitters in all of college baseball. Um, LSU is a pretty complete team. Um, haven't watched a whole lot of LSU baseball games this year, probably because Tennessee has well, – it was never on their schedule. But uh, mm-hmm. from what I've seen and from what I saw last night against Kentucky, they can get hot at any time. And uh, that Kentucky team was a good one. I know their record doesn't speak to how good they are, but they were fighting. And LSU uh, put them to bed pretty quickly there in about the third inning. 
So this is a fun little question. If you're Tony Vitello, what do you say in the locker room or the dugout before the game tonight? I think it's what Tony has told the media. He's been telling the team uh, is just to keep playing baseball, uh, keep playing good baseball, have fun, keep doing what you've been doing. There's no reason to change anything, especially after that complete performance from last night. I mean, like I said, other than Jordan Beck, you really can't find a negative from last night's win. So you just got to keep going out there, competing at a high level, having fun. Evan Russell had a really great quote last night. Um, they, he was asked about just winning, you know, 50 games this season. He goes, you know, it's not the winning isn't the mindset. Um, it's going out there and competing at the highest level you can, playing the absolute best baseball you can while having fun, while enjoying your time out there and your time with your teammates. And winning is just a byproduct of that. You know, winning is just mm-hmm. the result. And, uh, and you know, with 50 wins, it's working. So, you know, the, the result will be a win tonight if Tennessee baseball just plays what they can, their best baseball, what they've done all year, and have fun. Mm-hmm. And I think they'll, they'll best LSU. I do think it'll be close no matter what, though, tonight. I would not expect a nine-run win. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. uh, but, yeah, even if Tennessee loses tonight, you know, we've seen them lose, what, seven games this year? So they're not mm-hmm. Superman. Um, even if they do lose, they're not out of it. It's double elimination. They'll probably be right back in the championship game, even if they do lose to LSU. So, so you know, it, it'll be a fun one. And I don't, I don't think yeah. Tony Vitello should change anything. Absolutely. Speaking of Vitello, um, did you see that? Did you see that headline that it was like had the announcement of him winning Coach of the Year, but it was also like uh, most eligible bachelor. <laughs> yeah, he's. A- He's definitely a hit with the ladies. Um, you can see it on Twitter. You can see it on all social media. Tony's Tony's a popular guy around Knoxville and around college baseball world. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's hard to not it's hard to not love the guy. He's got an infectious personality. You know, the Mike yeah. Concha quote, like he's just, he's just a dude you want to go have drinks with and have a good time with. Um, the chest right. bumps for charity. I mean, the, the, the examples are endless. So. <laughs> You're absolutely right. So um, while we're on the topic of the awards, I – I just want to do a quick recap of these um, regular season, like SEC awards. Obviously, Tony Vitello won Coach of the Year. All SEC, we have Chase Burns, Drew Beam, Trey Lipscomb, Chase Dolander, Drew Gilbert. Freshman of the Year, Drew Beam, Pitcher of the Year, Chase Dolander, as you said. Um, do you think there's anyone not on this list that should be? Um, I, I was, I was pretty. Yeah, I mean, I was pretty pleased with the list, other than maybe Jordan Beck getting a little more recognition for his arm in right field. I think just the mm-hmm. defender he is should have gotten a little more recognition, but you know, and then the big argument with everything is Trey deserved SEC player of the year. And I understand the argument, especially since they did a co award. Like, I don't know, man, it's just 21 home runs as efficient as Trey has been as mm-hmm. much as he's improved on the defensive side of the ball. I don't, I don't know how you wouldn't give him at least a share of something. I'm not saying Sonny Deshera or Dylan Cruz didn't deserve it, but uh, but yeah, I I understand the argument with that, especially after the defensive play he made last night. So that that and Jordan Beck would be the only two I had any qualms with. Um, I think Dolander absolutely deserved Pitcher of the Year. The mm-hmm. consistency Beam had in the beginning, I mean, Beam had the resume for Pitcher of the Year up until about three weeks ago. So I feel like Freshman of the Year was just a lock for him, and Chase Burns has been really great, which is why. He got those honors as well. Anything else we should talk about ball baseball? Anything new while you're there? Which, by the way, I'm so jealous. <laughs> no, I, I think we wrapped up everything with Tennessee baseball. Um, you know, this tournament will keep on chugging, and I'm sure there will be a plethora of new storylines to talk about tonight. Um, 
you know, with guys like Evan Russell and Drew Gilbert getting up on the podium after every game, the quotes are going to be, you know, <laughs> great, great, no matter what. So, uh, so we'll just keep chugging along in Hoover and watching this Tennessee team, which never fails to. Expand. I'm super excited to watch the LSU game tonight, especially after our conversation right now. Um, so next, I want to talk about the NBA, specifically the Celtics versus Heat series. As you know, I'm a Celtics fan. So I've been mm-hmm. following this super closely. Um, just a quick recap for the listeners. Miami won game one in Miami. Boston won game two in Miami. Miami won game three in Boston. Boston won game four in Boston. And then Boston won game five in Miami just the other night. That was the first back-to-back win of the series for either team. So we're back in Boston tonight. Um, what what are your predictions for game six uh potential for the celtics to clinch the series i i was amazed by the boston win in miami the way this series had gone the back and forth i was like Mm -hmm. miami will hold serve at home boston will hold serve at home and then it'll go to game seven and uh and you know that that just that didn't happen and i think as a boston fan as a you know, if you're the Celtics, it's very encouraging to see what they did in game five. Um, you know, we know how elite their defensive style is with everybody being back. Horford obviously being back, Marcus Smart injury not being serious. Jason Tatum is fine. Uh, I don't see any reason why the Celtics can't win tonight. They just, they're just going to have to have an off night. We've seen Jason Tatum have these cold nights, you know, where he just mm-hmm. disappears and it's like all on Jalen Brown's shoulders on the offense then. Um, so if that happens, I could easily see the Heat winning. I'm not saying that Celtics are going to walk away with it but but from what you've seen from the last two games the momentum they've built the want Mm -hmm. to get to the finals now because you know that golden state is way more rested than you are i mean they pretty much had their way with dallas winning in five they're not playing any more basketball until the finals so i think the celtics need to win now tonight to be well rested for golden state because golden state's going to be a much tougher challenge for boston than miami in my opinion so I think Boston can win tonight, and I think they will. Um, I, it, it is difficult for me to pick them just because I don't think Miami's going to lay down. They're, they're going to go out fighting. But, but with being at home, we know the home atmosphere you know, in Boston. So I think the Celtics just get them tonight, and they win in six. They've, they've been the better team all, all at the end of the season, in my opinion. I picked them to win in seven, but I think they get it in six based off how game five went. Do you favor one team over the other side from your predictions? Like, would you rather see the Celtics win? Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna root for the Celtics. I I think uh, mm-hmm. I just think the way they play, I, I feel like it's their time. I I just like watching them more. I, I'm a huge Marcus Smart fan. Um, I, I love playoff Al, old man Al. So, say mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm personally rooting for the Celtics, but but yeah, the Heat are, are a really good team too. Um. You know, the injury bug has caught both of these teams in this series, but I think the Celtics best them tonight. Absolutely. Speaking of which, um, as you just said, the injury bug, how, how much of a difference does having a full healthy squad have on the Celtics in these high-state games? I mean, it seems like every other game, either Smart is out, Horford's out, Robert Williams III is out. It's, I mean, I'm watching the headlines every morning before the games, and it's like Smart smart probable Horford doubtful you know what I mean and then by 6 p.m yeah. that night they're in the game like how how much of a difference do you think it has on this team having a full oh, healthy squad aside from the talent just like yeah tell me about it I mean it's a huge difference and it's going to be a huge difference with any team when you have stars like like you said Marcus Smart Al Horford potentially being out or Robert Williams even you know great great role player there so so yeah it makes a huge difference um 
to be healthy. And we've seen Tyler Hero miss games for Miami, which has affected their explosiveness off the bench. We saw Jimmy Butler uh, deal with some knee inflammation, which I'm, which I think affected him in a, in a couple of these games. Um, so uh, in game four, especially because I, th- I believe he went out in game three. Yeah. So, you know, the, it's very important to have your whole team healthy. I mean, we've seen it with the Celtics, you know, when they've been healthy, they more than likely win games. Um, Marcus Smart's the name I go back to just because mm-hmm. the grit he brings, the defensive prowess. I feel like he energizes this team more than anybody who's been injured this series. I feel like, uh, I feel like the Celtics have been more fortunate with in- injuries as the series has progressed, maybe not so much in the beginning. But, yeah, it's, it's very important, babe, to have all these guys healthy. Um, you've seen it with the Heat. They struggled with Tyler Hero being out. So, so yeah, I feel like everything is swaying in the Celtics' direction right now. Do you think anyone has stepped up for the Cs um, as some of their best players that we've just talked about have been out? Do you think anyone in particular has really, like, come in and you're like, wow? Um, I mean, well – if you're talking about the playoffs as a whole, no one saw what Grant Williams has done coming, you know. I know I, I mean, love him so much. I <laughs> tell everyone about him, like, guys, he went to Tennessee. <laughs> yeah, no one saw uh, this performance from Grant Williams coming in the playoffs as a whole. Um, he, he's been really special, of course, in that Milwaukee game seven. But I think Derek White um, has been really great. He, he, was, he was excellent in game five. Um, Jalen Brown has put together some all-star type games. Game three, game five. And, uh, of course, Al Horford has just been tremendous. And, you know, this team has just really come together, and it's I feel like it's the most complete team right now that is left in the playoffs. Can they compete with the Warriors shooting in the finals? That remains to be seen. But I think they get – they like I said earlier, I think they beat the Heat tonight because of how complete they are, because they're healthy, because they're at home. So, so yeah, um, I, I as far as players stepping up, I would give the nod to Derek and Grant there or being players who I didn't see doing this well have exceeded expectations. Absolutely. Um, I will never forget, like I've been thinking about this through the whole playoff series. One one night at Ball News, it was either you and Riley or Riley and Jackson or you and Jackson, but someone was talking about you guys did like, like finals predictions, like wicked early finals predictions for the NBA playoffs. And one, I think Riley picked the Celtics. Or you did. Someone yeah. did. No, it was uh, – I actually have – I'm, I'm going to brag on myself, but I said Celtics-Warriors in the finals, and uh, Joseph also said Celtics-Warriors. So we were the two to pick Celts and Warriors in the finals. And I, I, I've always said the Celtics would beat the Heat in seven in the conference finals. Granted, now I'm going against that. But, yeah, I, just, I, I mean, I just kind of saw it coming. Their physicality, their defense um, – the amount of players getting hot at the right time. I just, I just felt it was their mm-hmm. time. I agree. I just will never forget that. I'm like, you know, these guys are from Tennessee. They're going to, the Celtics are going to win. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they're showing it. This is my last, unless you have anything else you want to say about the Celtics or the heat or, or the warriors. Nah, bring it on. All right. This is my favorite question. This is going to be my closing segment for all of my episodes. And it's called Peyton's opinions. Okay. okay. So I'm literally, I'm just going to ask you like an opinion question and it will be the most important question I've asked you <laughs> so far. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. All right. If the ice cream truck came by right now, what would you order and why? <laughs> okay. Um, all right. <laughs> That's if a great question. <laughs> yes. 
the ice cream truck came by my Airbnb right now and I went outside, yeah. what would I order? Well, it, I mean, I'm not going to get technical here. Um, if they had it, what, what I would try it. Say? No, I was going to say like, it depends on their menu, but I'm not going to get technical here. Okay. So, you know, those ice cream truck menu. Yeah. I feel like, all right. If they had one of those ice cream sandwiches where like the top and the bottom is like a cookie with M&Ms on it, you know what I'm talking about? They had one of those hundred percent ordering that if they didn't, if they just had normal like drumsticks or something that might be my go-to um, or anything cookie dough. So that's, that would be my go-to, but uh, it depends on how bougie the ice cream truck is. I'd say. That's so funny, especially with prices these days, because I would get a, a chip, which a cookie ice cream sandwich too. That's what I would pick. Like chocolate chip cookie yeah, yeah. ice cream in the middle. Those are like seven dollars these days it's ridiculous but i used to get a two ball screwball you ever had one of those i have not do you know what they are yes my parents have had some of those so i have not though yeah the cotton candy one it was like blue and pink swirl and then there's a gumball on the bottom so delicious yeah but um i I know my dad was a huge fan of those but i've never had one well, you you should you should get one next time you're at the gas station or the air, the ice cream truck comes by. But uh, have you ever had the uh, different character pops? They have like SpongeBob. They have like Tweety Bird. Like I can't say I have. You may, you, you know have to remember. I grew up. About? I do not actually this time. Well, what do they have at the ice cream truck in Tennessee? What the heck? Well, I don't. You have to remember, I, I grew up in Paris, Tennessee. It's like a population of 7,000, and the ice cream truck was just random. It, it wasn't very consistent, so so <laughs> I never got the – I maybe went to an ice cream truck three to four times as a child. It was like a, it was like seeing a unicorn if you heard the ice cream truck in your neighborhood. You're like, is this right. actually happening? And then you'd run a mile to track it down. Okay, so you put yourself in that situation. You just ran a mile in your eight-year-old Jack in Paris, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. What are you getting at the ice cream truck? A cookie, a chip witch? Yes, that would be my go-to. That's always been my go-to. Good choice, good choice. But you said M&M's. I would pick chocolate chips. Okay, yeah, we differ there. But Have you had the ones where the ice cream is wrapped in, like, rolled in, like, chocolate chips or sprinkles or anything? Um, do you know? I what I'm feel like I've, I feel like I know what you're talking about with the chocolate chips thing, but I don't. I don't think I've ever had ice cream rolled in sprinkles. No. All right, we'll have to make an ice cream bucket list for you, Jack. <laughs> you, you make a list, you send it to me, and I'll try to hit it as best as I can. Okay, <laughs> but you have to do reviews because the listeners right. have to know. <laughs> okay. All right. All right, Jack. Thanks so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule today for for chatting with me. Yeah, no problem. It was fun.